Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your old pal, Spearsy. And Brad in L.A. And today we talk to one of the biggest songwriting warriors of the 80s. It's our interview with Holly Knight. Today's episode is sponsored by the 80s Cruise. Join Steve and me and 3,000 other 80s lunatics in 2023 for a week-long trip back into time on board the Royal Caribbean Navigator of the Seas. Performers will include Devo, Brett Michaels, Kim Wilde, The Church, Howard Jones, Living Color, John Parr, The Smithereens, Fidgier, Fixin, Cutting Crew, Autograph, Tone Loke, and more. First-time guests get $200 of cabin credit. That's $200 just by using the promo code STUCK. You say it, you get it. Book it, book it, book it. Go to www.the80scruise.com for more information, but you better get off your twist and book it because we're sailing in like two months. everyone. Uh, if you're wondering why we're playing songs by Scandal and Tina Turner, well, it's because they were both among the amazing hits of the 80s, written by today's special guest songwriter, Holly Knight. You want to run down on some of her other hits, Brad? Uh, yes, please. Change by John Waite. Love is a Battlefield by Pat Benatar. Also Invincible, mm. for that matter. Mm. Uh, Obsession by Animotion. Also I Engineer, for that matter. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm glad you mentioned that so I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. That is that is the all-time best uh, Animotion song, as voted by engineers for engineers. <laughs> Love Touch by Rod Stewart. Pleasure and Pain by The Divinals. Just Between You and Me by Lou Graham. We were just talking about this song a couple weeks mm. ago. I mean, she's got a style, and that style is uh, called uber success <laughs> it's well it's very they're, they're empowering tunes you know her against the world you know that there's a theme it's, there's a lot of energy and a lot of yeah confidence. don't forget sometimes the good guys finish first from <laughs> secret of my success yeah <laughs> so much so much to like there she had two amazing bands in the 80s uh, spider and device uh, she performed keyboards on a kiss album she talks about that in the interview. She <laughs> just, just this is mind blowing. I know. She uh, wrote soundtrack tunes for Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, The Legend of Billie Jean, Vision Quest, scores of other films and TV shows, and 
And most importantly, at least for today, in context of the podcast, she is the author of a new memoir aptly titled, I Am the Warrior, My Crazy Life Writing the Hits and Rocking the MTV 80s. Wow, I'm out of breath. I mean, that's a that's a lot of title right there, but wow is right. I mean, the interview starts a little slow, but she warms to Steve just like we all do because Steve is such a kind soul. It's just a great conversation. You guys are going to love it. Yeah. I read the book, I think, in like two weeks. I downloaded it, and, and I, I would always stop like after each story like, and, t- and talk to the lovely Mrs. Spearsy and say, you won't believe what I just read here, you know. And and point it out or show her a photo. It's it's a great book. It is a page turner. Every every page practically has its own story. There's there's this funny story about her being in bed with Anne and Nancy Wilson, watching TV one night, and they're they're all their toes are sticking out at, of the, at the end of the you know uh, as you do yeah. And so they dubbed it the night of the thirty toes. Or there's a, a story about a Bon Jovi. Rody throwing her into a pool against her will at a Bon Jovi party mm. and uh, th- thus destroying a, a very expensive pack of Coke that she had on her at the time. <laughs> and then and then getting no no uh, satisfaction at all when she complained to, to John Bon Jovi about it. So it's just oh, yeah. everything in there. You'll, you'll read it and you'll just be like, oh my God, she knew everyone. She hung out with everybody. Yeah, one of those people just kind of flew below the radar just enough. Like you hear all those songs, you're like, "Oh yeah, of course I know all these songs." Right, but man. She was she was there when it happened. We've said her name multiple times on the podcast as we as we have talked about all of these songs before. So when they offered me an interview with her, I was just like, "Are you kidding me?" Like you know, what arm do you want me to sever off in in uh, exchange? Because I mean, it was just I, I read that book so fast, and I, I had probably 300 questions in my head i only had 20 minutes though so newsflash the arm that he sacrificed was not his own but one of mine (laughs) it seemed only fair since you love eye engineer so much you can engineer your own arm Mm, oh i'll get right to work on that gentlemen we can rebuild him we have the technology we have the capability to make the world's Podcaster. We have some seggies after the interview, but in the meantime, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Holly Knight. Holly Knight, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Let me say this. First of all, I, I love uh, your memoir, I Am the Warrior. Every single page is full of stories that you you have to read to believe from playing keyboards for kiss to the night of 30 toes with the Wilson sisters or, uh, partying with Rod Stewart, touring the Sistine chapel with Paul Young, um, having a Bon Jovi roadie throw you in a pool. It's, it's a roller coaster ride through the (laughs) eighties. Yes. Well, I'm glad you read it. (laughs) Well, it's like you said, being a songwriter is boring, said nobody. (laughs) When, When did you decide to turn it all into a book? Um, well, I actually wanted to write a book for a while and then I wrote some pages and I gave it to someone who represented writers and they got back to me at the time and said, oh, it's really, it's well-written, but you're not a household name and I don't think you'll get a deal. So that really kind of disheartened me and I stopped writing for about a year and a half. I kind of put it on the shelf and thought, hmm, okay. Uh, 
And then people kept saying to me, no, don't, don't listen to that person. You have to write a book. You have so many great stories. I love sitting around and hearing you talk about these things. So I started to do it again. And then the pandemic happened, which really made it conducive to just sort of be in a room and, and sit and write these things down. So that's really when I, I decided to go and do it anyway. And um, as a result, the, the dedication to my book is uh, – to anybody who's ever had a dream and was told no. Because even though I'm in the Songwriting Hall of Fame and I've written so many hits and everything, I was still affected by someone saying no to me. Um, and I think that just is, is, is a terrible thing to say to someone and to, to squash their dreams. So, you know, part of my hope with this book is that if you do have a dream, don't listen to anybody but your own voice. Um, that's basically the ethos of, of the, the entire book. Does it get easier to hear no after, you know, through the years or do you get to a point where you just realize it's part of the process? Um, it's part of the process, but it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> it's kind of a, a, a twofold answer. Sure. Um, when you were writing it, how easily did the stories come back to you? It was really amazing how how everything came back to me uh, almost in some situations like uh, like PTS, you know, like when I was writing about my childhood and stuff, how fresh those memories stay inside of you. And, you know, there were times where if I wasn't sure about something, very often it would be like, well, how did we meet or when did we meet? I would call up that person and ask them. And it was interesting. Once in a while they would have a completely different uh story than what I remembered it as. But so I tried to keep it as accurate as possible. Yeah, I, I find that I've been, I've been doing this podcast for 17 years now. And I find that when I tell stories on the show, I feel like I download them from my brain onto the MP3. And then I don't think about them anymore. So if I were to suddenly have to write a book about it, I'd have to go back and call old friends or listen to old episodes just to just to make the writing process click oh, with me. Absolutely. Well, you know, I kept a scrapbook of everything over the years. I mean, I, even when I played on the Kiss record, because they told me that I wouldn't get credit, that um, I Xeroxed the checks, and here it is 40 years later, and I put them in the book. Not the original checks, those were cash, but the Xerox of, of the, the, the check copies, which said Kiss on the top, um, because I sort of saved everything I could, and that helped a lot as far as remembering things and photos and um, I have a pretty good memory anyway. It's selective though. Sure. I, I remember when I saw the checks in the book from kiss, I, I kind of, I kind of squealed with glee and I, I showed them to my wife and I was like, you know, here's some, you know, she worked with kiss and, and, uh, I've, I've always kind of wondered, I mean, I, I was like 12 or 12 years old, maybe 11 years old when they were at the height of their power in the late seventies. I mean, it, it must've been something else to see them, you know, from, the earlier days and kind of experienced them on their rise up. And, and then, and then you still, you know, were with Paul Stanley in the eighties. So, I mean, that as they were, you know, transforming into a different kind of band. Well, yeah. And I, t I still talk to them and text them um, pretty often. Uh, so yeah, here it is, like I said, many decades later and uh, we're still friends and, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of stuff on Kiss actually because we have the same manager, and when I say we, I mean my first band, Spider, which I talk about in the book. Um, and Anton Fig was the drummer who he was on Letterman. Sure, yeah. yeah. 
he played drums on the entire uh, Dynasty record. And then uh, even before that, he had worked on Ace Freely's solo record. And that's how the, we all started to meet the guys in Kiss. And we ended up getting the same manager, Bill Coyne. And um, that was a really fun period of, of, of my life because it was the transition from being kind of like just a kid with dreams and rehearsing in a loft to actually making records. Um, and that was a big leap because it, it, before that it was a fantasy and then it became a reality. Sure. Has anyone reached out to you since the pub book's publication to either, you know, get back in touch or to thank you or to even apologize for how their behavior is depicted in the book? Well, I haven't gotten any apologies and I don't know if I will. <laughs> um, but uh, I, no, basically I've gotten, yeah, everybody I've sent the book to um, or pretty much everybody has uh, gotten back to me and just said they were so, they loved the book. Um, and what's cool is it wasn't just women because I, I figured, okay, I wrote this from a woman's perspective and I kind of expected women to sort of love the book, but men are loving the book too. And they, the, the men that I know, you know, they're all rock dudes and uh, the ones that I'm talking about that got back to me, uh, they sort of love that empowerment. They love that badass attitude and they're just sort of rallying up for me and saying, this book is great and they've been reposting it. Um, I've had everybody, RuPaul has reposted about it and Elvira, who I write about in the book, reposted about it, how much they love the book. So that's very encouraging. That's great. Um, yeah. as, you, as you look back to all the icons you wrote for over the years, uh, which one surprised you the most, either either for being down to earth or even being unexpectedly high maintenance or in some other way? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, to be honest, because I knew it was the, the, the rock and roll world, nothing really surprised me. I mean, I kind of had an open mind. I probably... Not it didn't surprise me, but it was sort of like, okay, here we go again with more antics. Um, was when I was working with Aerosmith and they called a bunch of strippers in. Uh, <laughs> they gave them credit for it's in the book. I know you're laughing because you read that part. Yeah, yeah, I read that part. <laughs> Got the flesh mongos. Yeah, yeah, you have to buy the book and, and read about it. But um, and it didn't really surprise me because I even said in the book that. Um, I've seen this before, you know, I've seen these kind of antics and, you know, men just being um, annoyingly men, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see, uh, probably the most gracious person I ever talked to, which is not in the book, was Robert Plant, because okay. I, I met him in the 90s and he came over to my house one day and we just sat and talked for seven hours. Wow. I clocked it, it was seven hours and it was just, he was the nicest most humble. I mean, he didn't even show up with a roadie or a, a road manager or someone driving him or he came in a little rented car. And uh, it's so funny. It's like the biggest star and is the most unpretentious person out of all of them. I, I remember one time I interviewed Robin Zander in person and mm -hmm. his what because I lived in Tampa Bay and his, he lived in Tampa Bay as well. Right. He still does. And uh, his wife just dropped him off at the newspaper and he just kind of sauntered on in and just like it was just, you know, like he was renewing his uh, subscription or something. And yeah, he's very down to earth, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, early in the book, you write 
that you eventually came to the revelation that love and creativity contain the same energy, that they're they're one and the same. But you also write that change is a scary thing, but that there's a thrill to plunging yourself into the unknown. Those are some pretty strong, strong self-discoveries. I, I'm just kind of curious, how, how did those revelations guide your confidence at that point in your songwriting and, and in your romantic relationships? Um, <clears throat> let's see. I haven't been that successful with my romantic relationships. I've been married three times um, and divorced three times. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm actually friendly with, with, with them. And um, I don't know, I'm still trying to figure out that one about, uh, you know, uh, relationships and, and love and all that. Uh, I find that the most unconditional love is with my dog, seriously. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I wish humans could be as pure as dogs are as far as, you know, the love that they give and they receive. But it's a very good feeling. It's very good energy. And there's no drama. There's no baggage. There's no conditions to it. It's just a pure force of energy. And that's what I meant when I compared creativity to love. They come from the same um, well, if you will, of of energy that doesn't have any agenda except to be what it is, if that makes sense. There's, there's a purity to them, to each of them. Yeah, exactly. There's a purity and an innocence and they're clean and they're fresh. And it's just love. That's what love is, real love. And it's the same thing with creativity. It's sort of like this unspoken energy that it can't really, really be defined. It just is what it is, if you will. I mean, it's sort of a, sounds like sort of a spiritual psychobabble, but it really, I really do believe that. And I don't question it. I just embrace it, you know. Yeah. Then there are the things like change, as you said, I had written about that change is a scary thing, but there's something, there's something exciting about plunging yourself into it and just going for it. It's just like complete, it'd be like, you know, if you, have you ever seen when someone says, well, fall backwards and you have to trust them and trust that they're going to cap capture you? It's sort of the same thing with change. Yeah. You just have to trust that you're being, you have to trust the process really of the universe and, and that things are going to be okay. But I find that um, when I've taken those big sort of quantum leaps to make these changes, they've, they've always been extremely positive and that doesn't mean that there wasn't adversary moments uh it just means that that it was a good thing to to trust that change was going to take me to where i needed to go you know and you have to be you have to be very brave in those moments which is sort of a, the ethos of a lot of songs that i write about about being strong and being invincible and being empowered and um things those are the kind of topics i like to write about Speaking of that, um, the story of your song, The Best, I, I think it has easily one of the most interesting stories behind it. You you write it for Paul Young as sort of a love letter to him, which I totally get. I met him in person last year and chatted with him. He's, uh -huh. he's about the nicest, most charming guy in the world. Yes, he <laughs> he's very charming. And, he's, and when he sings, he's even more charming. Yeah, he was playing the 80s cruise and he was a guest of mine for a trivia session I was hosting. And so I, I had like 30 minutes with him. It was just the nicest guy in the world. But um, then Bonnie Tyler records it. And then Tina Turner re-records it only after though asking you how to bridge to it. It, it. And after all that, it becomes possibly, I guess, I mean, her signature anthem and certainly one of the signature anthems of the 80s. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's not just of the eighties. It's, it's of the now. I mean, honestly, it's, it's more popular now. It gets licensed more. It gets covered more. Um, and because Tina has had just quite a few amazing uh, recent years, whether it was the musical or the HBO documentary or, um, you know, getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, she is so back on the map. And that is a signature tune of hers. So uh, it's bigger now than it was then, believe it or not. Uh, and it's definitely the biggest song in, in my catalog. Yeah. It it I love its longevity. I I think I was blubbering like a fool when it gets performed on the TV show Shit's Creek. Oh yeah, three times, three yeah. times on three yeah. episodes. And um, I, yeah, I was watching that oh, again just before yeah. we talked today. I was watching that and just getting a little misty. I'm like, okay, don't lose it before you actually talk to her. You're simply the best, better than all the rest, better than anyone, anyone I've ever. And I'm stuck on your heart. I hang on every word you say. It's a great show, and I love the way they used it. And, you know, as a result, it became, it's like the number one wedding song in the LBGT community, um, which is kind of like, you know, it, it, it has a life of its own. Yeah, no, I get that. Now, um, so what are you working on next? What are your current projects? Um. I have a band that I helped put together called La Crush, and I've produced an EP with them. Um, we put out our first single already, but uh, we don't have any money behind it, so uh, we need to get some money, and then we're going to uh, do a video. And wh- what I like about this group, I always wanted to produce a group that was entirely made up of women, um, but that took it to another level where they weren't just sort of adequate players, but as good as it gets. These girls are girls that have been playing since they were kids in their bedroom, little kids, and they're all virtuoso level. Um, and the lead singer is a singer I work with called Lena Hall, who is an amazing rock singer. I mean, she won a Tony for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. That's right. I know the name. Yeah. Yeah. And she was also on a show called Snowpiercer. Oh, that's yes. She was great in that. Yeah, and uh, and uh, she's just an amazing rock singer. I mean, she's a great singer. No matter she's toured with Josh Groban, so she can sing all styles. But she's really a great rock singer. That's really her forte. So she's the lead singer. So that's a project I'm working on. And then I'm actually going to do a a different book. I I liked writing so much. I thought maybe I'll start to put together a kind of like a grimoire of songwriting and, you know, the accurate lyrics. Cause it's so funny when I go on the internet, I often, you know, I can't remember a lyric or something and I go and look it up and w- what people think the lyrics are is sometimes so funny um, compared to what they really are. Oh yeah. So I thought I would do a, a book like that and then, you know, just keep writing. I never really stop writing. I'd love to write more for movies. I mean, I have a lot of songs in movies uh, and TV shows, but I want to specifically write something for a movie now like I used to. Um, So I'm working on that. And I do photography, too. I'm really into black and white fine art photography. So I'm keeping pretty busy. That's great. Well, the, the, the story of your induction into the Songwriter Hall of Fame was such a great way to end the book. I, I got goosebumps as you described the scene. I, I just want to say congratulations on that amazing honor. And thank you so much for giving my generation a soundtrack for our lives. 
Oh, thank you so much. Um, I also wanted to say that I did, there's an audio book that came out also the same day the book came out and um, I narrated it, which I wasn't sure if I could do, but I ended up doing it and doing it well and, and really enjoying the process. So uh, you can buy it in the audio book form as well. And what's cool about that version it, it's it's different. It's kind of cool to have both because um, I don't know. For me, I like to hold a book and read it, you know, and turn the pages and dog ear the pages. But um, there are original demos of some of my biggest hits oh. on on an audio version. So, uh, for instance, I have snippets of uh, the best "Love Is a Battlefield," "The Warrior," "Love Touch" songs. So that so you can really hear when you're reading the book. It's hard to imagine, okay, the demo, where did it go from the demo to the song? You can really hear the original versions. And even if the production changed, like it did on Love is a Battlefield, which I talk about in the book, um, <clears throat> you can see that all the elements that make it a song are there, whether it's lyrics, arrangements, and the music. You know, sometimes the production will change, and it's interesting to compare the two and see, you know, the trajectory of where it started and how they interpreted it um, sometimes, you know. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say really quickly was that uh, I was looking on Amazon last week and the book was listed as the number one, as number one for hot releases in uh, the music category, popular music, which really blew my mind. I mean, because <laughs> there's a lot of memoirs out there at the moment. And so that was encouraging. You know, no, I've, I've read so many of the memoirs of of artists that I adore from the eighties uh, over oh. the years, Phil Collins, uh, Billy Idol, Sammy Hagar, but yours by far was, was the, was such a page turner. I just couldn't wait to get to the next story. So it just oh, really wow. well Thank done. you so much. Uh, that's very, that's, that's really good to know. A lot of people have been saying that and uh, that's encouraging. Um, yeah. So if anybody's bought the book and you want to leave a review on, uh, on Amazon or something, that that's great because it. I know for me, when I go to buy books and I read review, I read the reviews to see what the general consensus is. And you know, there's always going to be someone in there that's going to gripe about something. <laughs> yeah. Right? So yeah. far, I haven't seen any of those, but um, I'm interested in everything that everybody has to say. Well, that's great. Yeah, I'll definitely take the time to do that. I'm I'm totally getting the audio version of the book because I want to hear the uh, the snippets of the demos. That sounds amazing. Oh, great, great. Well, happy New Year. Happy yeah. New Year to you, too. Uh, thank you so much for your time. This has really been an honor. Oh, thank you. And I hope everybody just has a very, you know, we move towards a healthier, not not everybody getting so sick, uh, and just peaceful, you know, more love and more peace and good health. And there we go. That was fun. Oh my gosh! So great, so great. I'm, just, I'm dying to read this book. I have it on my Kindle, and I'm seriously after she described what the audio version is like. I'm getting it mm -hmm. the audio version because I, I want to hear the original demos of some of these songs. Yeah, no, that sounds really cool. Um, I just I love how low key she is. Just like yeah, you know, yeah, I wrote these giant hits. I'm just kind of just, <laughs> you know, I wrote a book, you know, and I, you know what. Look, everyone, no matter how successful they are, deals with that kind of rejection and how they deal with it is important. And it, I love hearing her story about, you know, about how that affected her. And then she's like, you know what? She picks herself up and she does it anyway. It, it drives me batty that people discouraged her from writing the book because of all the memoirs that I've read over the last 
five or ten years, this by far had the, the greatest amount of stories and just the most amount of jaw-dropping moments. Yeah, just the information density that's presented is, you know, come on. Yeah. Come on. Oh, here I am hanging out with uh, Aerosmith, and they invite a bunch of hookers in to uh, to, to provide the percussion for one of their songs. It's just like, it, it's never-ending. Just when you think, oh, well, she probably doesn't have a Billy Idol moment. Yeah, she's got a Billy Idol moment. It's just... <laughs> Uh, it's just it's just incredible. I mean, she was. I mean, she had complete access to so many of the names of the artists we loved. It's just, like I said, I mean, her music defines the decade, and uh, I look forward to seeing what she comes up with next. Yeah, I mean, she. The one thing she did touch on that is, of course, near and dear to my heart, and that is uh, misunderstood lyrics or the ever popular Mondegreen. This is something that Steve and I have been talking about whether we could turn it turn that into a segment. We had talked about doing a show on them, but it was going to be. Well, this is what I overheard or misheard, and then well, this is what I misheard, and it just doesn't sound very interesting, does it? I'm bored just describing it to you. <laughs> We're hoping that perhaps you would have some better listener stories to share with us of lyrics that you misheard in a funny way or funny stories around these things yeah. that you could send in, and you know that that'd juice up the reader mailbag a little bit. Oh, I said it, the listener mailbag a little bit. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, you know what else is about to happen. The Seggies. Prepare to qualify. Hey, it's time for Stuck in the Arcade. We will play a snippet of an arcade machine game. Life Force of the 80s. Mm. Life Force. Makes me think of Starman. I was thinking it makes me think of, what's the movie with the flying motorcycle? They're like a Delta Force kind of thing. Oh, but, oh, and, oh! It was Delta Force. Combata is a Delta. Is it Delta Force? Yeah, yeah. With uh, Chuck Force? Norris. No, no. It's worse than that. It's Mega Force. Mega Force. You're right. Ah, that's it. Anyway, Perseus Combata is in that, if I remember correctly. Anyway, anyway. we play the the boinkity boink sounds. You guess right. You're entered into a prize to win a postal friendly bottle opener. Steve's just dreaming of hearing boinkity boink sounds. <laughs> Well, it's funny because I, I, this week I've been I'm spending all my time getting the trivia questions ready for the '80s cruise, and we're going to do a stuck in the arcade question each day. So I've been trying to just you know pick the ones that I think, you know, you're on a ship, you're very drunk, you're having the time of your life. You, you for some reason stumble into Brad and Steve's trivia session. It can't be that difficult of an arcade question, or else we get drinks thrown at us. I mean, to be fair, I'll take a free drink. <laughs> just hand them to us. Don't just, yeah, just set them on the counter there in front of us. That would be the best. I, I can't try to remember the last time someone bought me a, a drink at, at on the '80s cruise because we, we you get a drink package. But yes, it's true. But still, I mean, hey, you want to? I mean, it's a gesture that counts. Right? Yeah, yeah. Just if you want to go to the bartender and say, you know, I need stand a, in line with all those other yahoos. Bunch of I drugs. need a whiskey and a whiskey. Then, uh, <laughs> then pour them into one glass and give it to me. I'm not going to say no. Who are we no. to say no? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, back from episode 652, here was the uh, arcade video game in question. Yep, that's 1942. 
Yeah, a lot of those shooters sounded kind of the same, but that one's 1942. I don't think I played this one. Is that where you're flying yeah, the plane overhead yeah, and you're... Top-down view, yeah, yeah. Okay. Fly from carrier to carrier. Each wave is like from one carrier to the next. It's like an early version or like a... It's like a World War II version of Galaga. Uh, yeah, in a way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's true. I know I've played it on my computer, but I don't think I just... I don't think I played it at the arcade, but anyway... Few people did. Let's let's read yep. some names. Yep. Winners this week include Dan in Omaha, Jace Wash in Beaver Creek, Brock in North Dakota, Jarrell from Boston, and Alpha Geek. Okay, let's spin the wheel. Let's see who's gonna win the uh, postal friendly bottle opener. Okay, here we go. A one, a two, a one. Quick spin. Yeah. Feels very light. Gonna land on Alpha Geek. You were this week's winner, so send us an email with your postal address, and we'll get right on it. When I say nice. get right on it, I mean, you know, we'll get on it. <laughs> get, we'll get down, down on, on it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are in sync. Yeah, it feels good. Oh, oh man, I got to tell you. So speaking of arcades, you know, we're just coming out of out of Christmas, and for Christmas, I got a uh, a cartridge for my Switch, my Nintendo Switch. It's called Atari 50, and it's the 50th anniversary of Atari this year, which I didn't realize they were that old. Wow. It's kind of a documentary and kind of a bunch of old games, but the documentary clips are fantastic. I was, felt like I was kind of in a museum, like walking through the Museum of Atari, listening to these interviews with these basically legends of Atari and the stories they were telling, like... You know, there's one segment that were people doing drugs at Atari, and there's one group that's answering, "Oh, absolutely," <laughs> and there's another group that's saying, "Oh no, there were no drugs done in my no, not in my group. Oh no, oh no." You know, it, it's it's pretty funny, but the games, the games are, you know, you remember these games, and they're fun to play, but it, it's hard for it to get the stickiness it did, I think, when you were younger, just because all of us remember our dexterity being much higher. And our hand-eye coordination being much more tightly coupled. It's harder to do well at these games, as you remember. But I will tell you, there's a reimagined vector game on there that I can't stop playing. It alternates levels of asteroids, lunar lander, something that looks kind of battle zone-y but isn't quite battle zone, and Tempest. And I can't stop playing. I suck at it. I am so bad. But I can't stop playing it. It just looks fantastic. And just that that vibe, that look, it just draws my brain back into that. I don't know. I can't even explain it. It's like a time machine. I, so I'm curious about the Switch. I've never owned one. I don't, I don't yeah. currently have a game system. Is a Switch worth my time? I mean, I like it. I like the fact that I can play it handheld or I can dock it and play it on the TV. So it travels well. Okay. Um, I, it really kind of depends on what games you want to play. Uh, I also have an Xbox, so you know, I'm one of those people. Uh, I always, I always get the the PlayStations. But you're a you're a Sony guy, I know. Yeah, God, I've had them going all the way back. I mean, the 2600. I had a um a Sega Genesis. I had a Nintendo, oh, nice. the original Nintendo NES. I had that, and then yeah. I've had, I think, I've had all the PlayStations. I, I guess only up. I guess I have the. Th- one, two, and three. I don't think I okay. got four. Okay. Or well, it's funny you say the twenty six hundred, and one of the things that's or many of the games that are packaged in this collection are Atari twenty six hundred games. And I was showing some of them to my son, and he's like, "Are you kidding me? 
you played that? I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm like, this is what we had, okay? Did it have adventure on it? Uh, it does have adventure. Um, if that one doesn't, the other collection I have has Night Driver. Do you remember that? No. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Game. I do. I do. It's just like the little, the, little, the little light post kind of yes. trying to stay on the road. Yeah, I'm playing that. And he's like, what What are you doing? I'm like, I'm driving at night. It's called Night Driver. It's like, what's the score? I'm like, I don't know, but it looks like a decent score is about 60 points. It's like, this is the stupidest game I've ever seen. Oh, kids, they don't like, know. Stick around, kid. Show you some really bad ones. I, I think the last time I went to an arcade was was here in Orlando. There was like I think we mentioned in a previous show. There's a there's a place called Arcade Monsters. I think it is, and it's just twenty minutes north of here. And you pay like a flat fee, and you can play all the games for free. Mm. And the one thing that I noticed the, the amount of time it takes for my brain to tell my fingers to do something, and then it actually happens. Mm-hmm. It's like an eternity now compared to when it was. Those what, pathways are not as well grooved as they were in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every, every game I played, I mean, my brain was knew what to do, but my it, I couldn't communicate it fast enough anymore. Yeah, yep. Well, and also games like trackball games and spinner dial games like, uh, you know, Missile Command or Centipede, they're just not the same, even with, a, even with the joystick, thumb joystick thing. It's just like, mm, this isn't working. I need the original interfaces. Well, this, or at I least mean, these that's were the original games. I mean, I mean, there was Centipede there with the trackball. Sure. I'm talking about the Switch version. Oh, 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 the yes. Switch version. Okay. I, yeah. That's my excuse. That's my excuse for today. I don't know. I just, I just don't play them anymore. I wish, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, if anything, I need to do what I need to do. I have a 2600 around here somewhere. I just need to... To hook it up when, when we get to the new house, maybe I'll I'll make an there effort. That'll that'd be yeah. my that'll be my thing. Anyway, yeah. One more, one last thing. So Don Hammock sent me a sent both of us a link today to this uh, photo essay in the New York Times of these LA arcades and their current their new arcades. They're not classic arcades, but still, it's definitely a, it was a cool article. I just look at these pictures with like gunfight and double dragon and track and field, all beat up old machines. It's just like oh man, take me back. Yeah, he's he's always got the insider scoop on on that kind of stuff. He he finds news clips that we would never have found. He's a great patron. By the way, that's that's a good pitch for our patron program. Don't forget, we're still supporting the podcast via Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash stuck in podcast, you can join for I th- I think you can join for a dollar a month. I always say it's two dollars a month. I, I'm sure there's some rule there somewhere. That's but, because we want your two dollars. Yeah, or you could just like buy it a year at a time and just give us twenty bucks. But you get invited to the Zoom happy hours. You get access to our uh, Patreon-only blog. And, and then now we have Brad's virtual drive-in theater that we do. Yeah, we need to do another one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just it's just really bad. I guess we should say this now because you're, you're about to go traveling again. And then I'm about to move into a new house. And then – so I'll have all that distraction. So there may not be another podcast for a couple weeks. So We'll throw something together. Yeah. <laughs> Best of the old days or something like. Yeah. Here's our interview with Adam Ant, which we did do once upon a time. That's right. That's right. So. Oh, okay. So should we play a game clip here? No, yeah. Definitely play a game clip. Uh, So pay attention. Here's the uh, video game (laughs) challenge for this week. If you know it, email us at podcast at sits.com and tune in like i said it's going to be a while (laughs) and find out if you're a winner but we'll be right back after this commercial if yours is a house divided half the family playing board games 
and half playing arcade video games. Then come together and play Arcade Mania. The game that combines arcade speed with board game strategy. And everyone plays every play. You plan your moves, play your cards, and score points by dodging UFOs, battling aliens, intercepting missiles, or defeating serpents. So get arcade speed with board game strategy in Arcade Mania from Milton Bradley. Hey, we got a few minutes left, I thought. Let's play... PPTMN. Okay, Kelly E. from Huntsville, Alabama wrote in with a question. Brad, you want to read it? Yeah, here we go. Kelly writes, Since I'm writing to you on New Year's Eve, do you have any outlandish, awkward, or quintessentially 80s memories celebrating New Year's Eve? When I was a preteen, my dad hosted New Year's Eve concerts of the Latin jazz variety. He would sometimes put me to work at the door, so I would get to watch the adults party while I stood awkwardly nearby. Mm, that sounds like a good time, Kelly E. <laughs> Though Dad would usually let me have a glass of, quote, champagne, the cheap stuff that will give you a nice headache to toast in the new year. So, PPTMN, what's your 80s New Year's Eve memory? What do you got, Steve? Um, it's funny. I was The wife was just asking me this the other day. Like, There was one year where – this is sad. Uh, my, my friends and I, we were just – for some reason, we took – offense to the whole idea of New Year's Eve. And so we sat in my friend's house, probably drinking Milwaukee's Beast, and we watched the Weather Channel as the date changed at midnight. That was it. Oh, my God, Steve. That's, that makes baby Jesus cry. That's back, awful. This is, this is the Weather Channel back when it was just a static page that showed the current Conditions right, like the forget this weather on the eights crap. That's just all there was. Yeah, yeah. And then it just had like a countdown, like or not a countdown, but it just had like the time, you know, dink, dink, dink. And we just sat there and it turned to I don't remember what year it was, but it's probably eighty six, eighty seven. And well, yeah, post cable. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we just right. we watched it and we kind of looked at, it, at each other. And we're like, this is really bad. And <laughs> we probably we probably swore a blood oath never to talk about it again, but. What the hell? And here you are violating that oath. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Sue I love me. it. I got to say, I don't have like, I, I don't know. New Year's Eve has never been like a big, I'm not, I'm, this will shock you. I'm not a big let's go out and party on New Year's Eve guy now, especially, but I don't know that I was then either. The strong memory I have of 1980s New Year's is 1989. And this story has been told on the podcast before. Yeah. Set the time machine to 2009, episode 186, and get a load of this. You know, I have a little uh, surprise for you, besides Martha Quinn. We have some letters from our listeners about what they were doing. Excellent. On New Year's 1989. And unfortunately, they're great letters, but these people could use a pep talk from Martha Quinn, too. Uh, So we'll try to set it up. But we have three. Would you like to hear them? Go for it. All right. The first one is from uh, Brad in L.A., now, let's be honest. Is Brad, where does he rank on your favorite listeners of all time? He, he's in the top two, right? He next might to, be my uh, number one. No right offense next to, to Tor Carl from uh, <laughs> Tor Hansen or the guy from Finland. <laughs> What'd you say? How dare you bring up Finland? All right, this is Brad's letter 1989, worst New Year's ever. That's not a good start, is it? No. I was still reeling from a brutal breakup with my longtime college girlfriend when New Year's Eve rolled around that year. I was supposed to go to a party with a friend from work. 
But around 7 p.m., he called me up and said, yeah, dude, we're not going to be able to make that party. <sighs> oh, man. I feel you. I feel it. Having no other plans and knowing that all my other friends were coupled up and off having fun already, I decided that the most pathetic thing I could do was stay home alone. So I went to that party. I knew nobody there. And being the socially adept engineer that I am, I had a hard time connecting with anybody in that crowded apartment. I think I had a few beers and smoked a cigar that was offered me by the host before ducking out around 11.30 to drive home. I decided I'd rather count down the seconds to a new decade alone in my car Mm. rather than be alone in a room full of people. Listen to that. Than be alone in a room full of people. Brad's got some pain. (laughs) He does. Are you tearing up in there? I will come in there and slap your head. Oh, God, here we go. I remember popping in a cassette and listening to Killing Joke's classic track, 80s, on the way back to my apartment. And I remember the fog being very thick that night. And that was the way the decade ended. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. Wow. Wow, I completely forgot about this story. Wow, I forgot about this episode of the podcast. Oh, it's a great episode. It is one of the classics. Uh, you've got the Martha Quinn interview. You've got some sad sack idiot in California writing it about how it was foggy. It's a great episode. Episode 186. Check it out. Jeez, I, I really rarely go back and listen to the old yeah, ones anymore. When we were young, when the 80s were only 20 years ago. Uh, I, I try. I really, really try hard not to think about the context of the current date in relation to these stories. Yeah, sorry, I did that to you. <laughs> um, I mean, I must have done stuff with my friends, like when I was younger in the early half of the eighties. I'm sure we like look. We probably got together and did something extraordinarily dorky, like play Night Driver on the twenty six hundred, and you know, drink Mountain Dew and ate nacho cheese Doritos and probably played some D&D like the nerds we were, but no. I don't have any specific memories. I, I just remember that every other year uh, my family would get together in one of the three places where we lived. It was either they would everyone would either come down to Florida or we'd go up to Columbus, Ohio, where my grandmother still lived, or we'd go out to um, suburban somewhere in Oklahoma. I, I don't remember. Oh, yes. We've discussed this. Like, I forget the name of the town. Every other year we would do that. And then, and then on alternating years, you just every family stayed home and did their own shtick. But if it was the year that we were together and if it was in Florida, I remember that the family would get a bunch of shrimp, like shrimp cocktails. That, that would Play be the, the shrimp. Play the shrimp. <laughs> they would do that. They would – and then Uncle Frank uh, would jump into the pool like at the st- stroke of midnight, you know, even though it would be – you know. Even in Florida, you don't jump in the pool on January 1st. I mean, it, the water temperature would probably be somewhere in the 50s or 60s, but that was it. That was, that was, that was like the, the height of your social calendar. And then, and then, you know, you, you went to bed like around 1230, everybody in their own sleeping bag. You bet. <laughs> so, uh, I'd like to say things have improved in the decades that follow, but not really. Mm. What did I do on New Year's this year? I think I watched some movies with the kids. Oh, we we murdered, murdered a magnum of champagne. That was fantastic. We drank. We did make it to midnight, much to my amazement. We were drinking Bailey's. She was drinking Bailey's. I was drinking wild turkey. And we were playing a drinking.
drinking game that we had just gotten for Christmas. Where it would, it's one of those drink if, and then you, okay. you know, mm-hmm. and um, much to our dismay, like every question was almost certainly something we had done. So with within like 15 minutes, we were we were toast. So that was that was it. And then we went to sleep. Nice. And then I woke up the next day and I said I wasn't going to drink wild turkey anymore. So. Sure. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. Hey, we uh, just want to say, you know, thank you for joining us for another year of Stuck in the 80s. It, it may get off to a slow start because of our travels and, and my moving, but we really do hope to, to give you some great shows, uh, some members-only shows for our Patreons, too. Some more interviews. I know we have some other authors who've talked about wanting to come on the show. And, uh, you know, we'll tell you how it goes on the 80s cruise this year. But um, it's great having you with us. We hope you had a great New Year's Eve. If you have a great qu- story about something you did in the 80s on New Year's Eve, by all means, send it in. And let's let's keep this uh, wheel turning. Yeah. Send us in your New Year's Eve stories. Send us in your Mondegreen stories. Just send in stories. <laughs> yes. We need stories. Gosh. We need, your, we need your emotional input to support us. Yes, exactly. Because Brad and I are right here, hopelessly, stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening.